And we have been in a series the last couple of episodes while we are waiting for our dear colleague to return to uh, work and a place around the table with us. So, hi in absentia, Sarah. Um, we have been uh, talking about what began as telling the story of figures in our various traditions and denominational history. So we got to hear about some Wesleys and Methodism. We got to hear about Luther and Lutherans. Um, but it turns out that they were been Christians for like 1,500 years before either of them. <laughs> and maybe this is a place for both of us as Protestants to own. Sometimes Protestants do that. Sometimes we're like, Christianity started in about the year 1,500 or 1,600 or 1,700, and before mm-hmm. that it was nothing but evil and darkness. Um, but maybe, in fact, there were important things to be learned. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes mm-hmm. we treat it like the Bible is written all on Easter Monday, darkness for 1,500 years, and then as opposed to this was all a lot muddier and a lot less fixed and like it took a long time mm-hmm. for the canon to be sort of settled. Here's what we're going to call what the scriptures are. Um, and it was another thousand years before anybody printed them in one volume for you to buy and have in your own house. Um, so that there's there's a lot of ways that, that Christianity has morphed and gelled. And there have been people whose stories were important along the mm-hmm. way, too. Um, so we wanted to take at least a little bit of time and highlight some of those people. Tell, tell us, where, where do you want to start the conversation today, Erica? So one of those people for me um, has long been St. Francis of Assisi. Um, part of my back history before I ever be- went into ministry, uh, I was a teacher, but before even that, I wanted to be a veterinarian and work with animals. I've always loved animals, and so I think that's part of why Francis kind of... Um, sticks with me because, you know, anytime you see a, a statue of him, he has birds or little bunny rabbits or something, some sort of animal with him. I actually have him on my keychain, and I think there's a bird on his shoulder, mm-hmm. under like a little, it's like a little Catholic figure. It says, pray for us, St. Francis. Um, but as I've learned more about St. Francis, besides just, you know, he's usually associated with um, bird baths. And <laughs> and the the like patron that. saint of bird baths. Mm-hmm. Is... Um, and maybe this is being a preacher and being itinerant and and, know, and trying to myself live a life of simplicity is how um, when Francis felt a call into ministry, he came uh, from a very, very uh, noble family, very rich family, and left everything behind. Like, just completely renounced his family, stripped himself of everything. I think... Down to his clothing. Yeah, down to his clothing at one point. And says, you know, no, I want nothing to do with this. I've been called by God, and I want to seek out God. And eventually, I mean, he starts his own order, the, you know, the Franciscans. And um, in my lifetime, I half my family is Catholic. And so, you know, Catholicism has a some bit of um, you know, influence on my life. And, you know, I've lived under a few different popes. Um, but Pope, Be- um, not Pope Benedict, Pope Francis... Mm-hmm. Is a Franciscan and probably no. Of- I think he's a Jesuit and took the name Francis because he knew that a Francis. I, I think I remember hearing he was a Jesuit. Oh, was he a Jesuit? Yeah, yeah. And I think I remember when he took that name that people really wowed because he was like, he's not a Franciscan. Otherwise, that would seem like arrogance. Only a Jesuit could take the name Francis. And oh. like it was sort of like one of those, but but intentionally evoking Francis of Assisi. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah and yeah. you know, um, a lot of what he has done as Pope over the last few years is something that. As a non-Catholic, I have appreciated, and mm-hmm. so I think for me, just the, the simplicity of who Francis was and is, um, the the Franciscan order now, 
um, that that follows after his his lifestyle. It's always been something that that has um, been something I try to aspire to because yeah. as a Methodist minister, we move a little bit more often than our Lutheran colleagues. Um, and so, if I'm going to be moving every so many years, um, I'm I'm trying to live a life where I don't have a lot of things. You mm-hmm. know, I, I live comfortably. Don't get me wrong, and I have uh, my knickknacks and my little things, but. I, I like the idea of the simplicity of, mm-hmm. of life. I mm-hmm. don't like to get bogged down with a lot of material things because it's just not, for me, it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. it it's just, um, it, it's not worth getting caught up in all, in all those things. Cause as I, as I read about Jesus, as I study his life, I, I see how he lived, you know, he, you know, talks about not having a place to rest his head. He's mm-hmm. like, you know, the foxes have dens and the birds have the trees, but you know, the son of man has nowhere where to live his head. Um, and so I kind of try to live into that, yeah. you know, semi-Franciscan lifestyle. Yeah. I'm not as destitute as a Franciscan, and obviously being a woman could not be a Franciscan. I'm trying to think if um, uh, there's a parallel order, because um, I think that the title now, is. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking it goes after um, Claire. Uh, Claire uh, is sort of the, the figure who's... Uh, yeah, I think because to... there was a connection between the two of them. Right, right, and then they become sort of parallel movements. Yeah. And I'm thinking if I'm remembering right that like the, the letters after your name if you're a Franciscan are OFM and it's I think it's actually like Order of Friars Minor it's meant to be like Little Brothers and mm-hmm. I think there's an Order of Little Sisters that's meant to uh, be parallel off of uh, Claire's story too um, uh, so that even Franciscan is really not like no they even like Francis didn't want to name moving after himself but we're now we're just a bunch of Little Brothers yeah. um, there's I mean there's something really lovely about that notion of trying to practice your faith in a way that is about simplicity and smallness and humility and not mm-hmm. making a big deal about yourself. Um, I, I think you've raised a really, really important thing for us to wrestle with. Um, and I don't know that we can solve this one in a half an hour's worth of time of conversation or however long we have. But um, there is this difficult tension in 2,000 years of Christianity of the tension between focus and emphasis on what things we believe about Jesus Mm -hmm. and trying to live our lives in a way that follows after the way of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean to say Mm -hmm. that it's one or the other in life, Mm -hmm. but there are movements and moments where we tend to focus more and you have to get these lists of facts correct about Jesus or believe this way about Jesus and other movements that tend to be more about Let's take the lived example of Jesus. And there's ways you can abuse either one of them. I think there's something in, in the Lutheran tradition which owns completely that there's a, a lot to be said about uh, what we believe and why we believe it and having good sound theology um, and yet at the same time uh, can end up sounding rather complacent uh, about like living in glaring sinfulness you know like mm-hmm. well, I'm, I'm going to die a jerk but at least I won't have works righteousness and I'll, I'll believe correctly that I'm saved by faith and not by being mm-hmm. a good person that we end up almost like wallowing in being rotten people um, and on the other hand it is possible to become so focused on following the, the pattern of this Palestinian Jew from 2,000 years ago, um, that you're left with the worry of, am I doing it good enough? Is, mm-hmm. if, I haven't, if I haven't done well enough being like Jesus, am I doomed or something like mm-hmm. that? And I don't think Francis approached the, the issue that way. I don't think he saw it as, I must renounce my possessions in order to go to heaven, but more like the life Jesus lived and says, this is what life is all about, yeah. was not obsessed with possessions. I'm not going to be obsessed with possessions either. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I think is so beautiful about Francis's story, uh, even to the point of being willing to walk away from the family fortune, is that in some ways it was, this is what it could look like, 
to take the way of Jesus seriously. And mm-hmm. and that's uncomfortable for a lot of folks when they're like, well, I don't want to have to let go of my job or possessions or second car or what, vacation house mm-hmm. or whatever. But there's something compelling about Francis's story in that way. Yeah, and even to, to this day, you know, Franciscan monks, you can tell, like, if you go to uh, St. Francis College, like, you, you mm-hmm. can tell when you're around th- that order of monks because of the way they dress. You mm-hmm. know, not all monasteries anymore hold to the wearing of habits, Mm -hmm, you know. mm -hmm. Now, I think monasteries more so necessarily than convents do. Um, But even still to this day, like, they they try to live that very simplistic lifestyle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and I think you're right, you know, that, you know, what would Jesus do and how would Jesus, you know, uh, how would Jesus live versus, you know, what do we need to believe about About Jesus? Jesus, yeah. Mm -hmm. It is an interesting tension within the church. Mm -hmm. And... I, I don't give it a whole lot of thought some days, but mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to think now that you've mentioned it, you know, is one more important than the other, or do we need both of them? Right, right, and and I, I don't, like, I don't mean to make it a false choice, like, you have to pick one or the other, but I do think there have been times in church history where we have focused so much on one or the other, mm-hmm. and especially in the wars that have defined denominations. Uh, oh, yes. And, and to be honest, like, I, I, this, is, this is a consequence of the Lutheran Reformation, I think, that maybe um, Luther didn't intend, mm-hmm. but that once, once the Protestant Reformation begins and you get a group fracturing on theological lines... Now there's going to be the next group that has a different, slightly different theological mm-hmm. agenda. And what at one point had been, we're all part of the Christian church. We practice in different ways. There's different movements. There's the Franciscans and Jesuits. And now, like we 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 break from each other more and more easily mm-hmm. and more and more fractiously, all on the basis of you don't believe correct facts enough. And that ends up being a way to earn your salvation. It's just the good works are now in your head. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I believe these correct facts about God. And we turn the idea of being saved by grace through faith into faith is a certain certain percentage on your theology exam. Mm -hmm. Do you believe correct answers instead of faith as trust in God, even when Mm -hmm. I sometimes misunderstand how that works, you know? And having just talked about, you know, our two denominations and kind of how they split off of their respective churches, you know, um, nothing against Luther, but it seems almost like Luther really pushed more towards the belief about. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Wesley perhaps maybe focused more on the practice. Yeah, like I think it's absolutely. I I heard somebody say once years and years ago, and this is a criticism of both Lutherans and Methodists. So I hope it is not offensive, but something eh. we both will say about one another. But the 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 person said to me once, he said. Lutherans are a theology without a church, and Methodists are a church without a theology. <laughs> and, and like the, it, it's painting with a broad brush, but I mean, yeah, yeah. As, as a movement, Lutheranism was about here are particular things we believe about God mm-hmm. and how we're in relationship with God, and orthodoxy became more important than orthopraxy. Mm-hmm. In 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 Luther's defense, that was because what he was plagued with was being so so afraid. What if I mess up? What if I do it mm-hmm. wrong? Am I? Is there something I can trust that's solid that doesn't depend on did I do good enough? And mm-hmm. so Luther lands. Yeah, it turns out the gospel isn't about how good I am, but it's about what, how good God is. Really. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, you can end up with this caricature of the the, the old joke is the the Lutheran on his deathbed who go who asks his preacher to come and says, uh, Pastor, I, I'm, I'm I know I'm dying. Have I ever done 
in all the years you've known me, have I ever done a single good thing in my life? And the preacher thinks, kind of embarrassed and blushes and goes, no, honestly, I've never known you ever to do a good thing in your whole life. And the dying Lutheran goes, I'm so glad I'm not going to die and go to hell for works righteousness. <laughs> um, that, like, and, and there's something about like the Lutheran tradition that gets that and finds that funny because it's like, yeah, we're sort of putting all of our chips on grace here. Um, but that that... The early church didn't see those as two separate things, orthopraxy and orthodoxy, right belief and right uh, living, but saw this as all as like a whole one way of life. And I think voices like Francis are helpful for us, especially as people who aren't Roman Catholic ourselves, but Mm -hmm. to say people like Francis keep poking at us and saying there's a way to try and hold these together. So Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything that that Francis said or did or wrote that uh, was... uh, radical theologically. I think he was in some yeah. ways very, very, I mean, in some ways he's a mystic, which makes him, we don't quite know what to do with mystics either, but um, uh, he he was orthodox as far as the things he said and mm-hmm. believed, as far as the, what the, the, the positions of, of church orthodoxy were at the time, but um, it was this way he held, the way he lived and, and believed together, and took seriously if I believe Jesus is the key to what humanity looks like, mm-hmm. what, I, what God's vision for humanity, maybe I can trust this simplicity and leave behind my possessions and stuff like that. Well, and I can't remember this off the top of my head. Maybe you know the answer to this. He didn't necessarily, like Luther and Wesley, intend to start out and create his own order. Right. Correct? Like, he had started in another order and then kind of um, meandered and, and went off in a slightly different direction. Yeah. So, I mean, he's got the orthodoxy, mm-hmm. right, and then also with being a monastic has the orthopraxy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at least leaning in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Maybe not always for the right reasons, but, you know, at least re- leaning in the right direction. And so it's um, it's a tension I live with, yeah, you know, sure. and I think a tension we all live with, and especially as pastors, um, how do we live that out in a way to be an example to our people and to teach them how to... Sure not just believe the right things about Jesus because that's such the American way. You know, if I just think the right thing, right, right, then then I'm okay. And how much we would like it to be. I go to a church, I officially name myself as a Christian, therefore I don't have to actually take seriously what Jesus says about mm-hmm. possessions or forgiveness. Or, I mean, like, there, there's there's a lot about the the practice of religion where, where we live in this country in this time that sort of treats religion as a consumer product. And I think that's where Francis's life story helpfully smacks us mm-hmm. upside the head and goes like, no, it really does have to do with living the way of Jesus. And Jesus means it when he says, your possessions are slowly killing you. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes we end up, at least, at least a, a Lutheran incorrect justification for our greed is sort of a I'm not saved by how much money I have that is it, it, Jesus doesn't require me to get rid of all my, all mm-hmm. my possessions to earn salvation it's simply by grace through faith and therefore you're not allowed to ask mm-hmm. God about me and my possessions or I'm not allowed to um, be forced to, to consider the ways I might be dying drowning in my possessions and I think Francis wouldn't have said this, this isn't about earning your salvation after you die this is about if you take Jesus seriously mm-hmm. that will change how you relate to your possessions and how many of them are really essential and how many are not anymore. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not about securing your post-mortem real estate location. Um, he, he's not a Franciscan, but he is Catholic. Stephen Colbert mm-hmm. um, has this great quote I've seen often over and over again on social media about how Christians are supposed to behave um, towards the poor, mm-hmm. especially in America. And he says, if this is going to be a Christian nation that doesn't help the poor... Either we have to pretend that Jesus was just as selfish as we are, 
we've got to acknowledge that he commanded us to love the poor and serve the needy without condition and then admit that we just don't want to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's got a very Franciscan kind of mindset. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In that, because not only did Francis, you know, give up all his possessions, but, I mean, he was very much focused on serving the poor. I mean, he became the poor so he could serve the poor. Right, and I think that's the idea, that, like, if your idea is, I know, I will impress God by selling all my stuff, doesn't that impress you, God? That completely misses the point. But Mm -hmm. if the idea is, God is concerned for everybody, especially the people who are the the lost and the last and left behind and the, the, the least. And that means then solidarity with them is going to mm-hmm. mean how do I use the abundance I've been given for the sake of others and, you know, without that become, in order to prevent that from becoming too paternalistic, like I need to fix you, I'll come have my field trip down to the slums and then mm-hmm. I'll go back to my comfortable suburb life. Yeah, Francis is like, I'll put my money where my mouth is. I'll, I'll get rid of my possessions and live among the poor taking, and we'll use the resources we had mm-hmm. to take care of each other. Um... That that's such an important piece of the teachings of Jesus, and yet I really don't remember in my childhood hearing an awful lot of talk about that piece of the heart of what Jesus mm-hmm. has. This and like I mean maybe maybe that uh, that orthopraxy orthodoxy split is evidence too. And like um, I know lots of ways the Bible talks about mm-hmm. what Jesus' death did for me or does for us. Um, but that can come at the cost of actually listening to the teachings of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And an awful lot of the time, Jesus isn't talking about um, post-mortem real estate, um, but more about if you're going to be my follower, you are called to care for mm-hmm. uh, people who are in need. You are called to welcome the stranger. You are called to, you know. And sometimes we aren't great at doing both, listening to what the, the scriptures had to say about what Jesus' death and resurrection did for mm-hmm. me, but also... Follow actually doing what Jesus says. And it's weird that we can get so hung up on, do you use the word Lord to call Jesus your Lord? Have you made Jesus your personal Lord and Savior? As though saying it once accomplishes it and has not lived out the whole rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, that Lord implies a certain relation, and the closest relation, maybe in words we would use, is like master or teacher or mm-hmm. overseer or sovereign or king. Or like, and to say, Jesus, you have that kind of authority over me, but I'm not going to listen to you when you say I should uh, share my possessions or give things away or deny mm-hmm. myself and take up my cross. We, we kind of want to have our cake and eat it too. And as as a pastor from the movement that does maybe, the, at least the beginning of our movement, does the orthopraxy a little bit better um, because John Wesley doesn't have a systematic theology right. based yeah. off of his writings. We have his sermons and things, but we don't have, you know, a small catechesis like right, you right, do right. with Luther. Um, you know, that's still, I, I said in a couple episodes, it, it's something that we have lost as Methodists. We've mm-hmm. gone more the orthodoxy and, and what is, you know, true Christian belief, mm-hmm. what is right and what is wrong according to scripture. And that we've put all our focus on that. Again, not a bad thing, but when you focus purely on that and you lose the orthopraxy side of it, sure. then we're just, you know, sure. we're sure. turning into the Roman Catholic Church that Luther went against, you know, sure. 500 years ago. And I think it's interesting. That there's a number of, of scholars, uh, so I don't think this is an idea that's novel to us, we have to admit. There's a, there's a lot of folks who have recovered probably in the last century or so um, that the, the split that we're observing isn't there in the first century. It isn't there in early Christianity. Mm. They get it that how we live is a one piece with what we believe in. These are all connected. And that in the writings of the early church, for example, you'll get early church fathers who'd spend time talking about, here's what we Christians believe. Sometimes it's defending our faith to the 
you know, Roman Empire that wants to feed us to lions, but they will spend just as much time in those documents about, and here's what we do. We are called to care mm-hmm. for the poor. We are called to meet the needs of one another. We're called to be loving and great. I mean, like, like these are all woven together, and sometimes we, we, we take a split, and we, like, our various traditions will focus either on get your theology right mm-hmm. or be a decent person, and, and sometimes we even focus on, we major on minors there, too. Like, sometimes it'll mm-hmm. be... What God cares most about is um, not whether you're a decent person, but um, did you ever drink a sip of wine? Or, and, like, and sometimes we focus on things that are measurable when, like, Jesus seems to be insistent on you. It was about justice and mercy. Mm-hmm. Turns, it turns out Mike was right all along. <laughs> now, do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. That hasn't changed, but we find all sorts of little stuff. Uh, oh, you, you can't go to heaven, you roller skate. Or you can't go to heaven, you smoked a cigarette. Um, you play cards. Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, pick, yeah. Pick, pick your vice. And that may be the temptation. If you if you err on the side of orthopraxy, it becomes really easy to, well, mm-hmm. who gets the side here? What what things there are, this is a deal breaker, and this one is uh, acceptable or mm-hmm. not. Um, and I get it, because there's lots of questions or issues that we don't have a clear word from Jesus on. I don't know a single text where Jesus talked about playing cards. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are plenty of Christians throughout history who were convinced they had Jesus' answer about playing cards, but we don't have a sermon from Jesus or even a parable about somebody <laughs> playing cards. So, yeah, go ahead. I, I think that, you know, how the first couple centuries, you know, they got both orthopraxy, orthodoxy mm-hmm. together. But then I think, you know, when we get to Nicaea and, and the different councils that happen. Sure, and, sure. and while those are important because we need to know what to believe about who Jesus is and mm-hmm. to know that he is, you know, co-eternal with the Father and not, you know, mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. created by the Father. Um, I think that's where we kind of started to go down that path where belief became more important than practice. I think you could say, too, the thing that happens alongside Nicaea is because it's Constantine who calls, uh, who, who is the, uh, the emperor presiding over the era and says, you Christians have to get yourselves straightened mm-hmm. out, call a council and get everybody together to decide what you think, is also that Constantine is the one who opens the door for Christianity to become a state religion. It, it doesn't officially become the state religion until Theodosius II, I think. But um, it's Constantine who opens that door and who drapes himself in the trappings of Christianity to the point mm-hmm. where that famous story of the Battle of the Milvian Bridge mm-hmm. where he has this vision about the, the Cairo symbol, not even the cross, but the Cairo symbol is a symbol for Jesus and he's convinced the voice tells him uh, that he will, he will win as long as he's got this symbol on his shield. Um, and... Something dramatic happened there because at, from that point on, to be a good citizen of the empire also was to be a good Christian. And that meant that you could just pay lip service to this mm-hmm. living the way of Jesus. And I don't mean to say I've longed for the days they fed us to lions, but to say there was a time for the first several centuries where it was clear if you really want to follow Jesus, it was, you love Jesus. It wasn't because the neighbors thought it was respectable, but yeah. it was if they found out they turned into the authorities. And yet... We grew by leaps and bounds as a faith because mm-hmm. one, people took it seriously and they dared to live it, and they understood that that this faith of theirs wasn't just preparation or life insurance for the afterlife, but was mm-hmm. about how do I live this life in the Jesus way, um, and to let that make a difference right here and now too. Um, I think if you read the Gospels uh, in the in like say the teachings of Jesus, there's a lot that Jesus has to say about what we do believe about God, but he always makes the lead to, if you believe this about God, this is how you will act. Like, to read the Sermon on the Mount Mm -hmm. isn't really just a bunch of morality lessons, you should do this or you should do that, but it's, if God really is generous and gives to everybody beyond their goodness or badness, but is kind to the ungrateful and wicked along with the well-behaved, 
that's, that says something mm-hmm. about who God is, but also then about how we live as a result. And so Jesus connects it up. says, so love your enemies and do good to those who mm-hmm. will uh, not be good to you and lend without expecting anything in return. That's orthopraxy, but it's grounded for Jesus in trusting who God is. And so I even think for Jesus, orthodoxy, what we believe about God, is more about trusting the goodness of God mm-hmm. and less about, here's a diagram of how heaven and hell work, you know? Orthodoxy should lead to orthopraxy, and orthopraxy needs to be pulled back into orthodoxy. I, I almost feel like, yeah, that, that and that's an uncomfortable move sometimes, is recognizing the circularity of that, too. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, I think, especially in academic traditions, and maybe any seminary experience is going to be yeah. necessarily academic, is we there's this uh, emphasis on you got to get your facts right. you got here you, once you once you have your doctrine straight, then we'll worry like for extra credit about are you a decent person. And maybe the early church didn't quite see it that way. It was this sort of mutually reinforcing. If we're supposed to be people who are forgiving, huh? What would that tell us about what we believe about God? Huh, I guess that's how God is like. And this mm-hmm. sort of like cir- there's a circularity that maybe sometimes makes us squeamish, but we maybe need to own. The early church seemed to be okay with the way we act informs what we believe, and the way we believe also informs the way we act. Not just, you got to get your catechism memorized, and once you've learned your theology, then go out mm-hmm. and act. But these are mutually reinforcing. Um, we have um, talked a, a little bit about the details of Francis's own life here, and I don't know that we need to rehash his whole biography, but as mm-hmm. he's the starting point for our conversation today... Um, let me ask you, because you talked a little bit, you used a, a clever phrase, I think, about being semi-Franciscan, you know, like, like I'm not a member of an order, but, I, you know, um, for many of us who are not particularly wedded to the idea of becoming a, a member of a convent or a monastery or something mm-hmm. like that, what do you think it, it looks like to use the, the example or life story of people like that? How, how are those stories helpful for us um, without saying, if you want to follow Francis, you have to become a Franciscan. I mean, like, how? how what, what, what is it? What, what are what are day to day ways that that mindset affects you without you signing up to become uh, a, a little sister of the poor? <laughs> um, well, part of it is definitely um, what's the word I want to want to use? Relating with the poor, you know, putting myself in their shoes and, and, and service to the poor, however that might look. So there, there's a food pantry that happens once a month in Marion Center. Mm-hmm. And so my church has gotten involved in that. And that's mm-hmm. a way. And that's something I've done. My home church had one too. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I would work there. And so um, trying to find a way to serve the poor um, with what I have. Mm-hmm. And um, also, again, going back to just that life of simplicity. And, and looking at the resources that I have and, and, the, and the resources that God has gifted me with. Mm-hmm. And say, okay, I have X amount of money. How am I going to spend it? Where am I going to spend it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And making sure that as much as possible, I spend not just the tithes, you know, giving to the church, but making sure that I, you know, a portion of my money is used to serve other people, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, both within and outside the church walls. Yeah. Um, I don't have to give up all my wealth um, and, and live, you know, in um, in a in a convent, mm-hmm, you know, and, and mm-hmm. do life that way. Um, I'm not Roman Catholic, I can't, but, you know, but to, to make sure that I'm using the resources that God has given me and, you know, rather than saying maybe, you know, oh, my phone's doing for an upgrade. Let me get the the latest and greatest Mm -hmm. iPhone Mm -hmm. saying, you know what, my phone's still working just fine. I can hold on to it for a couple more years and then take that money I would have spent on a new iPhone and use it to help with 
the food pantry or mm-hmm. or something else like that mm-hmm. to to give resources to the poor. Yeah. So, um, I think you raise a really important point that I think is definitely at the heart of Francis's story and and way of life, and that's that the idea of simplicity isn't settling. It's not like um, Francis. I think ultimately, I don't think Francis thought. I really wish I had all that lavish lifestyle, but I will impress God more if I get rid of it. I guess I'll suffer, but more like a sense of the way life really is meant to be lived is not weighed down with a whole bunch of extra garbage. So if your daily bread is covered, if your basic needs mm-hmm. are met, you're covered, and more than that weighs you down rather than um, mm-hmm. the goal should be to attain more and more and more of it. I was thinking about, we, we took a... a couple of days at the beginning of the summer, our family, to go to the beach. We went out to Virginia Beach, and um, our hotel was not far from the actual beach, but over the course of a couple of days, it's funny, there's a difference between um, everybody, all you got is swimsuits and towels, good, we'll find a place on the beach and leave our towels and we can go, and we're going to be out there for the whole day, so we're bringing along the giant cooler with wheels, and now there's also, well, we're going to be out there, we might need this, well, we need to have a phone, and now someone's got to stay there by the phone to make sure it doesn't get stolen, and we got our chair set mm-hmm. out because we might want to sit down for, like, very quickly, the simple let's go to the beach has now become mm-hmm. the additional headache of guarding our stuff and who will watch the stuff while some of us are having fun and tracking, treating, uh, taking turns, who will mm-hmm. guard the stuff, um... Instead of the freedom, the genuine freedom of just let's all go in the water and then when we're done we'll go back in. Um, and I think that 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 dynamic isn't only beach logic. Like all of our lives. I think sometimes we sort of forget that and treat it like, well, that may be how it's on vacation, but the rest of life, you're winning if you have more stuff. Um, and I think part of what Jesus has to say and Francis rediscovered while we're talking about mm-hmm. a movement of people rediscovering things maybe is to say... Jesus isn't saying you should uh, suffer and go without and God just wants to see you suffer mm-hmm. with, with being in need. But, like, no, an abundance of stuff is actually killing you. It's it's drowning. And um, there's freedom in not being bound up with having all this stuff, all these possessions to worry about. Because they, it looks great to have all of them, but they bring collateral damage and cost that nobody thinks mm-hmm. about. You know, it's not just, now I've got the new car. Oh, but now I'm so worried about my car being stolen, I have to also pay for additional insurance, and I have to buy a security system, and I have to have this and this mm-hmm. and this. And there's so many ways we overcomplicate our lives, and without intending to um, get sucked in in the, the making our possessions into our gods. Along with some of the quotes I shared from Wesley a couple episodes ago, there's one that says, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and Wesley fully believed, I mean, work and, and work hard and earn all that you can and save up. So make sure that you can take care of yourself when you're older and in and, and retirement age. Not that there was really that for Wesley, but you know, mm-hmm. um, but then give away anything that you don't need. Mm-hmm. It's it, it said that when Wesley died, he had enough money in his pocket to pay his pallbearers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and that was it. Yeah. And, and so that's something um, to pull in Francis and my Wesleyan heritage. You know, um, I, I will probably have more money than that mm-hmm. when I die mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if things continue the way they're going now. Um, but, you know, that's what I, I try to live into. I, I earn what I can. And I'm I'm blessed with with how much I, I earn um, from the church that I serve right now, and I, I save what I can, you know, because I mm-hmm. someday I'd like to retire, <laughs> someday I'd like to not have to work, um, but that's another forty years down the road, and who knows what the economy is going to look like then. But again, you know, I, I'm giving as much as my in- income away as I possibly can, while making sure that I'm being responsible enough to take care of myself. Should something happen 
between now and retirement or after retirement so that I can continue to live and serve God with sure. whatever he, had, he decides to bless, bless me with at the time. It reminds me a little bit of um, the story I only heard recently of someone who I had as a teacher in seminary. Um, and even though it's been a long t- time since I've seen him, um, the story goes that the good Dr. Powell, Dr. Mark Allen Powell, was uh, being approached to be a keynote speaker at a church event, like I think for the, the synod, the territory that I'm serving now, and they were asking about how much money he would uh, need or require uh, as compensation for him to come out and be their keynote mm-hmm. speaker or something like that. And his response, the story goes, was, pay me whatever you want to. Jesus already thinks I have more money than I should. <laughs> um <laughs> And, uh, I mean, like, there's a sense in which that's a great Lutheran way of saying, like, I've got more money than I should, but I've kind of got to wallow in that. But, like, there was, it was also this, like, Jesus is working on me not to be so wedded to my stuff. And that, mm-hmm. that notion that maybe the, the good life is actually one of the less possessions runs counter to so much of what oh Christianity looks like in the culture that we live in, mm-hmm. that, um... I mean, without making everybody join a Franciscan order somewhere, in, in a sense, like, to be faithful to Jesus, some part of that message of is not about your stuff, and in fact, your stuff might be killing you, um, that's an important thing we may need to recover. Mm-hmm. And maybe not in the sense of, let's add another line to the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus, the Son of God, and also I should only have a certain amount of money in the bank, but, like, that's an important piece of what Jesus has to say, and to follow Jesus for whatever other things correctly we believe about Jesus, part of following Jesus means a different kind of relationship with our possessions, both for the sake of who else can be benefited, mm-hmm. but also for the ways that uh, it, it turns out to burden us to be carried with so much stuff. I've been thinking a lot lately about the the narrative in the wilderness days in the Old Testament where the uh, people get the manna day by mm-hmm. day in the wilderness, mm-hmm. you know, and how that both sides of that are there. That if, if you're in the wilderness, if you're one of the Israelites, every day there was enough manna that would fall on everybody uh, so that everybody would have enough. And if you took more than what your family needed, it rotted. It got maggots mm-hmm. and, and began to stink to high heaven. And... The idea was twofold. One, that you're not supposed to take too much because your neighbor needs to be able to eat. So don't take more than you need so that your neighbor can eat. And and mm-hmm. so for your neighbor's sake, don't hoard. But also for your sake, because now you've just got a pile of stinky rotten <laughs> manna and it does nobody any good. Mm-hmm. But you've got the baggage. You've got to lug it around this you know, um, maggot-ridden manna when it should have gone to somebody else. Um, and I think that's an important piece. Sometimes we forget both halves of that. That part of the call to simplicity is for the sake of others. Mm-hmm. That I don't need to have um, uh, an overabundance of stuff when other people are just struggling to eat. And mm-hmm. there are ways I could use my resources to share because it's all come from God in the first place. But also, when I'm focused on getting more and more and more, I don't realize sometimes how that becomes a stinking mana pile that's, that's, that's rotting mm-hmm. rather than giving life. And I think Francis ties us in to see both sides of that. The care for the poor, the care for the other who's in need, but also I'm ultimately freer and more fully alive when I'm not weighed down by my garbage. So we spent a whole half hour talking about Francis, and neither of us are Franciscan. And if you are Franciscan and uh, have been listening and we've got something totally wrong about uh, th- that Please let figure. us know. Yeah. Um, but um, maybe maybe we could say thanks for listening. Um, and I don't know that anybody can be sure what his last words are, but those famous words that are often attributed to St. Francis are important ones. Lord, make me an instrument mm-hmm. of thy peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, where there is hatred to sow love, where there is injury pardon, um, where there is doubt faith, and O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be mm-hmm. consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, uh, for it is in dying that we receive and pardoning we are pardoned. Um, it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. 
Maybe that's a fair enough place to end, too. Thank you all. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later. Bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.